following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Hey everyone, I'm Chris Horwardell and welcome back to Tales from the Association. The episode you're about to hear was actually the first one I taped and sort of served as a test for whether or not the show would move forward. In this episode, I talk with former Marist big man Steve Castleberry. Steve spent some time with the Philadelphia 76ers and then played professionally overseas. While it took him a while to really get comfortable, I had a good time talking to Steve about his life as a fringe NBA player and overseas pro. He had some fun stories about what playing internationally can really be like. Just like I said last week, we didn't really have a name for the show in place at this point, and you'll see that reflect in my introduction. With all that being said, here is this week's episode of Tales from the Association. Tales from the association, yeah, it's going down. This the podcast, yeah, you heard it all around. Players hit us with that career, cause you know that basketball, man, is not always there. Sometimes it come and go from the recruitment to the college phase, back to the NBA draft, yeah, that's not days. Playing internationally, and at the life at a basketball, man, they gonna tell us all how it go. See, story is how now, now you know. Tales from the Association. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to a special edition of The Underdog. I'm Chris Horwardell, and my guest today is Steve Castleberry, a man who was part of the Philadelphia 76ers in 2005, 2006, and also claims to be the tallest real estate agent in Florida. Steve, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's, uh, let's get to the first thing first here. Are those claims of being the tallest realtor in Florida substantiated? Um, no, not at all. I uh, <laughs> just kind of taking a guess. Well, at at what seven foot, like I don't know, two two sixty at this point, something like that. You, I would think you have a pretty good shot of uh, holding that honor. Yeah, I'd say so. I met a guy down in Sarasota who was about six six, so I don't <laughs> even have as many people too close yet. No, we're talking about a, a small forward to your center, Steve. Oh, I'm sorry, what's that? I said we're talking about a small forward to your your traditional back-to-the-basket center. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so you guys just had uh, the hurricane down there. What was that like for you? Um, it was a lot of preparation. Uh, you know, we bought all types of food and stuff, and we like boarded up I think five or six houses total helping friends out and stuff and then uh hurricane kind of we lucked out a lot as the east of us at the last minute and so we just finished cleaning up uh yesterday taking all the stuff down and sweeping all the branches and everything but yeah we really lucked out well I'm happy to hear that this uh it seems like it definitely could have been a lot worse overall and uh you know that's just a blessing and I'm not one to say things are a blessing, but that, that kind of thing is a blessing because that was absolutely terrifying. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was. So you actually started BigManTraining.com. Can you talk to us about that? Sure. It was an idea I've been toying with for a while. Um, when I was growing up, I had a really tough time finding coaches um, that specialized in you know teaching big men. You know, There's mm-hmm. a lot of guys who would teach 
guard skills, but I really needed like a big man coach. And it took a while to finally find some. And that's what really took my game to the next level and made the Division One and NBA and all that even possible. So I just kind of wanted to have an online platform where, you know, guys from anywhere could reach out and I could just guide them online. And then, of course, if they're in the St. Peter, Tampa area, I can help them in person. How different is the position of center or, you know, even even a, the four spot now from when you were coming up? Because it seems like we're getting into this era of the NBA where if you can't shoot from the outside, you can't play in the league. Yeah, it, it's changed a lot. Um, and, you know, um, the players now, you know, they're kind of like five players of just different heights yeah. running around kind of all playing the same position. And I still think the old school kind of, you know, back to the basket big man does have a place in the NBA. Um, that's something that I, I teach, and that's how they taught all big men, unfortunately, when I grew up. But also I, I'm, I am familiar with, you know, the changing ways of the big man. And, you know, even if it's something that a, a big man just uses, you know, in um, little circumstances here and there, like a, a play where you just flash across, mm-hmm. get the ball real quick and just make a quick move, that's kind of where it's headed. Not like the old days where it was like Olajuwon versus Ewing and they just tee up Ugh. on each other and you just watch the show. I miss that. I really miss that. Me gone. too. It was, it was great. Yeah, gone are, you know, gone are the, I guess Patrick Ewing was kind of a jump shooter, but that, that era of unbelievable centers with, with Olajuwon, with Robinson, with Ewing, later O'Neal came in. Like, we'll, we'll never have that again. Yeah, I I know. Um, hopefully, you know, there's a couple other big man coaches out there, and we we can bring it back. <laughs> but yeah, it's just the it's the NBA is kind of like I I think it's a, a league of followers, and they see something work, and then they all do it. And I really think the guy that set it all off was uh, Nowitzki. You know, a big yeah. seven footer who could shoot, and everyone tried to copy him, and it kind of just made its way where the NBA they just want that now. Yeah, and you know, I guess even more than that, even more than the the kind of back to the basket seven foot post players, because you do still see that here and there, even if they get criticized for it, like uh, like Okafor in Philadelphia. But I guess mm-hmm. the like the bruising power forward is the position that's really completely gone from basketball now. Oh yeah, yeah, those guys um they clean up in Europe. They do really well over there, but. Yeah, like those big six eight guys who are just super strong and impossible to guard for most people. Like in the NBA, they just it doesn't seem to work out for them a lot. You know, there's a lot of just athletic guys who can just make their game a little less effective. Yeah, but over in Europe, those guys are they're killing it. I think of the Davis brothers when I when I think of that. Like Antonio and Dale Davis would just never have a, a position in the NBA today. Yeah, yeah. Dale Davis, yeah, he was a he was a beast for years, you yeah. know. And um I I agree with you. It would be tough to like really put him in on a squad where he'd at least be allowed to play as much as he did. Uh, for sure. So let's talk uh, let's get to know Steve Castleberry. Where did you grow up? I was born in Chicago area, uh Joliet, and then I moved to New Jersey and I lived there for about 20 years and mm. I've been in Florida for about 6. Where did you live in New Jersey? Uh, Mantua, New Jersey, and Mullica Hill, New Jersey. I split my time between the two, two very small towns uh, right next to Philly. 
Right, right. So did did you grow up a, a Philadelphia fan? Did you grow up a fan of New York sports or New, New York sports or Chicago sports? What was it? Um, mostly a mix of Chicago and Philadelphia. Um, I definitely did not like the New York sports. Good. Uh, so I couldn't uh, stand the Giants growing up. I still like fantasy football, and I have to draft a Giants player. I kind of cringe. Yeah, that's that's very understandable. So, so you were you were there for those great like Randall Cunningham and those the great Jerome Brown, Reggie uh, Reggie White days. Oh yeah, uh huh. Yeah, Randall Cunningham was the man. He's a lot of fun watching. They had McNabb. He was another dynamic quarterback. It was a lot of fun. What did you think? Fan. What did you think of? I'm because I'm from well, I'm born in California, but I spent most of my life in Pennsylvania, and now back in California. But I uh, I grew up a huge fan of Philadelphia sports too, and remain a huge fan of Philadelphia sports. So, what did you uh, What did you think of McNabb? Because he's kind of a polarizing player. I loved him. I, I loved him and uh, Andy Reid. Mm-hmm. The combo, you know, the Philly was uh, in the playoffs every single year, like a good, solid team. And uh, McNabb, you know, he held it down. He was really consistent, and he played well. And uh, I got really upset when they got rid of Reed, you know, because, mm. I mean, you know, he's doing great in Kansas City. And uh, and he was on the Eagles. He was, I mean, Philly was fun to watch. Every single year we were in the playoffs, you know, getting deep into the playoffs sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you had to make room for the great Chip Kelly, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah. the first game I remember where they won, this first game as a coach, you know, they, they're getting all those plays off, and they're like, this is a new way the NFL is going to be, and they made a big deal about it, and it kind of fizzled out pretty quickly. Yeah, if I remember that correctly, it was pretty much the first half was that new era of football, and then the Redskins kind of adjusted, and then we kind of got mediocrity for the next couple of seasons. Yeah, yeah, he shipped out a lot of good players, too, which really... <sighs> set the Eagles back yes yes he did because uh, you know obviously you can't relate to players like Deshaun Jackson and Jeremy Macklin and LaShawn McCoy so now they just have to be superstars for other teams while I get to watch LeGarrett Blunt get three and a half car- yards of carry <laughs> yep yeah yeah I saw uh, I think New England got the last good surge out of him last year they really pounded it you know with him and now we're gonna get him and <laughs> I, I mean I hope he, he can stand up but you know he's kind of like a big physical running back and they don't really last long yeah and they don't seem like they really fit in our system what are your expectations for this team this season obviously week one went pretty well yeah i was um pleasantly surprised by that you know i hope they can uh squeak into the playoffs i think that'll kind of be like the uh the best case scenario i guess you could say I'd like I'd like to see a running back and a cornerback i feel like that's where we're a little weak right now especially after the derby injury yeah, yeah. With the running backs are uh, the most infuriating position, I think, is because yes. the injuries and everything. And some some teams, you know, they get a guy hurt and they just plug it in another guy who's like an undrafted mm-hmm. guy who's been a practice squad for a couple of years and he just kills it. And other teams, it's like you know, a super skilled running back like Le'Veon Bell, and if he goes down, it's really hard to replace him. Well, so, Le'Veon Bell is a is a dirty word in this household, as my. My girlfriend is a longtime Cleveland Browns fan, which makes football interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they are they are not big fans of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's been tough times for Browns fans. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that is that's an understatement. But let's get back to you. At, so where'd you go to high school? Where did uh, where'd you play in high school? 
I went to uh, Clearview, and then I went to Solberry Prep School. Uh, Clearview is a, a small school, and then uh, Solberry is uh, it was kind of like grade thirteen. Mm, yeah. So um, after I graduated high school, I went there to kind of fill out and work on my game. Yeah, how tough is that? Because I guess we don't we don't really think of that element of sort of the evolution of a of a large player. Uh, how much just strength did you have to gain to be able to compete in college? A ton. I was uh, really thin in high school. I think I was six nine, six ten, like one hundred and eighty five pounds as a senior. Oh boy! And I hated the weight room, so yeah. I went to prep school and I started like learning about weights and hitting the weights. And, and still, I was probably six eleven, maybe a little over two hundred. So still super thin, but I kind of had something to work with. And and still out of um, prep school, I had a redshirt year mm. to even be able to play against you know, division one players. Right, well, you ended up picking, uh, picking Ryder. What made you go to that school? Well, I, I finished there. I started at Marist. Oh, you're right. I, I apologize. Transferred. And, yeah, no, no problem. It's a, I, yeah, I played so many places. <laughs> um, but yeah, I finished at Ryder because, you know, I, I, after Marist, you know, I kind of saw the writing on the wall there with the, the way kind of things were going with some of the players and I didn't really get along with them. And, uh, mm. so I, I jumped ship and I went to Dixie out in Utah and that was a junior college. Mm. The reason I did that was because from uh, division one, division one, you have to sit out a year. Yeah. But if you go to junior college, you can play that year in junior college and go right back to division one and keep playing. So you don't have to sit out. And, um, so I did that and I, I chose Ryder because, you know, it's a really good business school, and it's close to my house in New Jersey. <laughs> I was kind of homesick after being in Utah, so <laughs> I was like, "All right, I can play close to home." And uh, you know, I, I had a position kind of waiting for me. You know, because they they, uh, they graduated their starting center, mm-hmm. and I could kind of just I was a good fit for them, and it worked out really well. It was a good, great school. I like that. That that's the most honest answer I've ever heard. You know, it's it's a good school, and it was close to my house. <laughs> it helped it. it made the decision really easy like I, I looked at University of Maine and mm. I liked the school a lot they had a great coach uh, Coach Janini who uh, went to LaSalle but uh, when I was up in in Maine I was like oh man it was like March and there's still ice flows going down mm. the river and I was like I can't I can't do it I'm sorry well I'm interested in let's I want to get interested in this Marist thing for just a second what's the culture yeah. shock like from going from you know southern new jersey to to utah oh uh marist was in new york i'm sorry and then i went to utah dixie state out there and the culture shock from going out west to utah was was big because uh utah is a you know a mormon mm-hmm. community and they're very polite i guess you could say and <laughs> you know from new jersey you know everyone curses all the time they're kind of pushy and Utah was so nice, so it felt weird moving back to New Jersey and kind of with all my friends, and they're all cursing all the time. We're just kind of <laughs> acting the way we do. And it just it really felt weird for like a year or two, just like saying, like, just talking normally. I like that you're confirming the stereotypes about people from New Jersey. <laughs> oh, yeah. The drivers and everything. We do have good food. Uh, and then the beach is... Uh, is can be fun if not somewhat dirty. Yeah, yeah. Wildwood Boardwalk is a experience that everyone should have at least once in their life. Yeah, probably not without with children. You probably don't want to take <laughs> the kids there. No, not at all. Uh, I, I would no. 
I the boardwalk is not what the I remember the boardwalk being growing up. I have these 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 very fond memories of it being like a fun thing to do when you're young and it has evolved into a weird world of its own. Yeah, I mean, fortunately for me, I kind of always went to the Ocean City boardwalk, you know, because I just go there during the day with, like, my mom or something, and we just mm-hmm. go hang out. And uh, I never really got into the uh, Seattle City or Atlantic City or any of those places, but, you know, it's, it gets pretty uh, crazy down there from what I've heard. <laughs> um, so you, so we end up at Ryder. Who was your coach there? Uh, Don Hernum. And what was uh, what was your takeaway? What did you get from from Coach Hernum? Um, he, uh, you know, he put a lot of faith in me. You know, coming out of junior college, he just, you know, I I started right away. You know, and you know, he was a no nonsense kind of guy. He worked us hard, and you know, that's kind of what I got from him. It was just, you know, a really good work ethic, and you know, no nonsense kind of just grind through everything. And so, you know, kind of as you go up into the pros and stuff, the coaches tend to be a little bit nicer. And when you, uh, you come out of college, it was like, uh, coach Arnhem, you know, Mm -hmm. if you're screwing up, he lets you know. So it's kind of from that perspective, you know, an angry coach was, you know, not a problem to deal with (laughs) where some players, you know, kind of take it personally. Do you think that's sort of a function of necessity in with coaches having to, as you say, get a little bit nicer as we get into the pros, as we're, as you're now dealing with, you know, people who are making more money than them. Oh yeah, absolutely. A hundred percent. The NBA coaches, they have to appease the players. You know, if they piss off all those guys, they're going to be, they're going to be out the door before the players are. So they have to um, keep that in mind the whole time they're dealing with these, uh, these multi-million dollar players, if they, you know, if someone comes in and, you know, pisses off a guy like LeBron James or something, you mm-hmm. know, they're not going to trade off LeBron. That coach is out of there. Right. So it, they have to... Go ahead. Oh, yeah, so they have to, yeah, basically get along with the players as their number one priority if they want to keep working. It can, uh, it takes a lot of winning before you can have a personality like a Popovich. Yeah, Popovich, Jerry Sloan, you know, those guys, they, they can... There, there are very few of them who can uh, call the shots. So before we jump into the next evolution of your career, I want to talk about, you mentioned you transferred, and there's this movement now to abolish the the mandatory one-year uh, redshirt year uh, when you go from one D1 school to another. Do you think that's a good idea? Do you think that's a bad idea? I think it's a, a good idea. Um I know for a while, I don't know if it's still the case, but baseball, those guys could transfer from D1 to D1 and not sit out. And some of those guys have been to like six schools in three years. They're transferring every semester. Mm-hmm. So if it gets like that, it would be terrible. But I think they should be allowed like one transfer. And then if that doesn't work out, then they have to sit out a year. But, you know, it's really hard to make a decision that you're going to be, you know, bound to for four years off a, you know, two-day recruiting trip. And so many, so many things can change at a school after you get there. Isn't the concern, though, that this basically opens up college basketball free agency? Yeah, yeah. I mean, geez, that would be a, a huge dilemma, you know, because there'd be a lot of, uh, yeah, I could just see how crazy that could get with all these, you know, big-time players, you know, switching around from school to school. It would it would change the face of basketball for sure. Oh, yeah. And I, I know uh, – 
yeah, the NCAA, they don't, they don't want that. But, um, yeah, I mean, it would be really interesting. And I think um, it would be a free agent market. And there'd be guys, you know, doing whatever they can to get top recruits. Yeah, and I think specifically at those smaller schools, it's going to make your life as a coach a lot harder. Yeah, it will. Because at Ryder, we had uh, Jason Thompson. You know, he went, oh. he, he got drafted. Uh, he was a lottery pick out of Ryder. And, you know, a guy like him, I remember we had a game on ESPN or something, and they were saying that he could transfer to the ACC or wherever he wanted. He wanted to transfer. You know, he never did, but. You know, guys like that, you know, the rare gem you get in mid-major, yeah, they'd be all trying to grab him from the from well, uh, his school. This actually segues nicely because Jason Thompson, not only part of that Ryder brotherhood with you, but also part of the Philadelphia 76ers brotherhood. You ended up mm-hmm. uh, a member of the 76ers for a while in 2005, 2006. Uh, after you know going undrafted in 2005, was that a, was that a surprise or was that kind of expected to be undrafted in 2005? Oh, yeah, I'd say there's a 0% <laughs> chance of getting drafted. So, I was shocked just to even get a call from the Sixers for a workout, much less uh, end up on the roster for a moment. Well, how did that come to be? Let's talk about that. Um, it originally, I started, you know, close enough to Philly where I'd work out in Philadelphia over the summers, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of train. And there was a guy there named John Hardnett who, uh, he, he passed away, unfortunately. He was a heck of a guy. All the Philly basketball players knew him. And he ran these workouts and, you know, I was working out all summer. And then one day a guy from Greece was supposed to work out with this other guy, this big 6'11", 285 pounder. And the guy from Greece, his flight got delayed and they just needed somebody to work out this 6'11 guy. Mm. And so they called me up and I worked out against him and I held my own, did pretty well. And then that guy got hurt halfway through the workout. So then they brought me in again with some other guys and then kind of, it's just one thing led to another, being at the right place at the right time. And at the last minute before the uh, Sixers camp, Matt Barnes went to the Knicks. And so they had an open spot. And that's where I kind of, hey, Castleberry, you know, uh, we need a big man. So <laughs> there I am. That's funny. So it basically it's all, I mean, it's obviously you put in the hard work to get there, but it, it, ultimately it's a right place at the right time kind of deal. It is. Um, it, if you're a fringe player, it is like how I was, you know, just looking for anything. But um, the amount of separation between, I'd say, like the eighth guy on the roster and the rest of the roster, you know, on the mm-hmm. way down the eighth through like 12th, there's very little difference. It's kind of, you know, if you have connections or if you uh, you um, you have a higher upside maybe or, you know, you just played at a better school than the other guy, like there's so little difference that they'll just – take the guy who they're a little more familiar with or, you know, has a better, I guess, you know, resume. And I mean, the guys are so close and it's a, well, I think one of the the great misnomers is people not giving respect to how talented the, the guys who are good enough to be on the fringes of an NBA roster actually are. We, uh, I play in, well, I moved to California, as I said, but when I was back in Pennsylvania, I played in a very competitive uh, rec league and there was a, every team had a couple of guys who played overseas a couple of everybody you know three or four guys who played in college and uh, we had a guy named Kenny Hasbrook play with us uh, one summer mm-hmm. and Kenny played it at that Siena he played on that Siena team that 
beat Evan Turner's Ohio State team on the two buzzer beaters in the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. a while back, and and Kenny ended up playing with the Heat on a ten day, and he is just just he's just so much better than everybody else. It's 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 crazy how good you have to be to get to that level and how overlooked that is. Yeah, yeah. When I was a kid, um, I'd have like these basketball cards of players who are in the NBA and they average like three points a game. I'm like, who are these guys? They must stink. But <laughs> those guys are like some of the best in the world. And, you know, the like the worst player in the NBA is, you know, probably not as good as a lot of players in Europe. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of really good players in Europe who kind of stay there for familiarity or they just get paid better. And then there's, you know, there are guys without jobs who are not much worse than or probably better than a lot of guys in Europe. So there's a lot of overlap with talent, you know, with the different leagues. And just, you know, if you're anywhere near an NBA, just the radar, it's, you gotta, you know, you gotta be a pretty good player. And, uh, yeah, if you get one of those guys in a rec league team, it's a pretty good deal. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. We had a similar mm-hmm. thing last summer. Uh, my buddy, Anthony Frazier, who actually was in a similar-ish situation to you when going through workouts and the and all the pre-draft stuff with the 76ers, only he didn't get his chance. And he came in, the big six eight small forward who can do everything, and all of a sudden we go from being competitive to winning every game by 25 points. So it's you're right. It's it's quite a boon to add a guy who is uh, has pro level talent. Um, <clears throat> so let's talk about your time with the 76ers. What was that like? Uh, it was a huge culture shock in a, in a really good way. It's kind of because, you know, college is a grind. You know, there's a lot of, you know, just running around sprinting and kind of just wearing you out without it doesn't seem like there's a lot of purpose to what, what you do every time. Mm hmm. And then NBA is just, you know, you just walk through the door and all of a sudden, like, the trainer's like, do you need anything? Can I get you more Gatorade? <laughs> Can I stretch you out? What do you need to work on in the weight room? Here's this. Here's this workout for you. It's just like everything's taken care of. And like, here's a hotel room you can stay at while you're with the team so you don't have to drive back and forth in New Jersey. And then you, you fly in the private jets everywhere. It's, it's just crazy. You're like, wow, I'm used to taking a bus, you know, <laughs> sideways in the streets and, and all that. Uh, and you guys played in the, you played in the preseason, you played in summer league, summer league, correct? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. And what was that like? Who who were you playing with at that point? Um, with the preseason, it was, uh, Chris Weber, Iverson, Iguodala, oh uh, Lou Williams, uh, Sammy Dallenbear. Um, okay. There are some characters yeah, on that yeah. team. Oh yeah. They're a really good team. When you look back, you know, uh, Corver and Iguodala are still, you know, they're both in the finals last year contributing. So, you know, it was 11 years ago. They're still in the NBA <laughs> kicking butt. So was, that an, was that an Iverson team or was that post-Iverson? Yeah, it was Iverson. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, obviously, Allen is, uh, much like Donovan McNabb, Allen is a polarizing figure. Um, I've only had, you know, he's, he lived very close to me. I saw him quite a bit. He was always very, very nice to everybody anytime I saw him. What was your takeaway of Allen Iverson? I liked him a lot. He was always uh, really friendly to me, and he's uh, always had lots of funny stories he's telling, so I'd always kind of try to eavesdrop and, and hear him. Um, he was, like, encouraging during practice. He he was uh, – I, I thought he was just a really nice guy. How about Weber? Because Weber is another interesting guy. Weber is an amazing person, just an amazing player. I really was impressed just 
by how like helpful he was to me. He just take time and be like, Hey Steve, you know, try this thing out, try this that thing out and you know, I was like, Wow, you know <laughs> he was a future Hall of Famer, you know, just kinda of like shooting the shit with me, just hanging out and yeah, I was I was really impressed and he was just such a he does a lot of things really well, mm-hmm. you know, as a basketball player and the the transition he made from like the young athletic guy to the crafty vet was just so seamless that it really just is a testament to like how much of a great player he is. You keep up with any of those guys at this point? No, unfortunately I don't. I've I've never been really good at, you know, following up with people. Unfortunately, I, I wish I did. Well, these things happen. So what, uh, what was that? Which came first? I'm sorry. I don't know the timeline here. Was it the preseason or the summer league was came first? Oh, the preseason then did the summer okay. league after the season. Okay, so you play how many games that preseason? I was probably in somewhere like around eight games. And what happened that you know the decision was made to move on from the Steve Castleberry era with the 76ers? Um, towards the end of the preseason, you know, there's there's like five of us going for the last spot, mm-hmm. and two of the guys had already been cut. And so it was down to three of us, and, you know, it's pretty good odds, you know, one out of three. But towards the very end, it was pretty apparent that they're going to keep this guy, uh, James Thomas, because he was the only guy playing. There was me <laughs> and one other player who were kind of just sitting on the sidelines watching. And so uh, I kind of knew it was coming, you know. I, I didn't expect to make the team towards the very end. And then, you know, they just kind of went with James. Uh, you say you don't expect to make the team, but was was there still a degree of, like, this is – this is heartbreaking. Oh yeah, for sure. I was a little crushed, you know, for, for a bit, but I was also, you know, very heartened because, you know, I had the chance at the NBA and I was still Mm -hmm. a rookie. So I figured I'd get more chances in the future. Okay. So you're let go at the end of the preseason. What happens between then and next summer league? Uh, Tried out in Ukraine. I flew over there, and that was just a complete disaster. <laughs> Why was this a disaster? Oh, oh man! So it was Thanksgiving Day. Okay. Fly me out, and it's I get this like really cryptic itinerary, and <laughs> I land in Kiev, and I was supposed to catch like a little puddle jumper from Kiev, Ukraine to Odessa, which is right near where I was going to play. I I couldn't understand the. Uh, the itinerary is sure. just kind of like weird, like words here and there. And one of the words was Globus, which is like a travel <laughs> agency, I guess, in Europe. So I saw Globus and I was thinking it's like spelled G-L-O-B-U-S. So I thought it was like a bus. Uh-huh. So I'm looking around for this bus and I'm looking all over the place. I have no idea what I'm looking for. And then I see Globus as like this stand. And after I walked around for a bit, it was closed. I already, already missed my flight. So I was like, mm-hmm. oh man. So, I panicked, you know, and the whole time there was, like, these aggressive te- cab drivers just bothering me. Trying, so I'm always trying to, like, hide from them. And, like, before cell phones were really effective, and I couldn't get on the uh, cell phone – or I couldn't get on the pay phones without these guys, like, pestering me. So I was, like, kind of running around the corner hiding. And by the time I got figured out, I was, like, I had to catch a train from Odessa uh, – yeah, from Kiev to Odessa, which is, like – a one-hour flight, but it was like a 12-hour train ride, and I had no idea. So I just bought this ticket, jumped on the train, and went. I didn't tell anybody that I was on the train. And 12 hours later, I, we get to Odessa, and 
the coach is like waiting for me outside the train. I have no <laughs> idea how he knew I got on that train. So I get off the train and, you know, I grab my bags and I go back to the hotel and they want me to practice like right off the bat. <laughs> it was like okay. a 40 hour trip. Yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not going to practice. Like this is ridiculous. Like I was so tired. I was dizzy. I was like almost hallucinating. So I, I take a nap and then they call me again for the afternoon practice. Like, Steve, now you must practice. I'm like, no, no. I'm like, that's, but that's not how it works overseas. Like, it was a miracle. I, I didn't have to practice the first time. So they bring me in the second practice of the day. And I go in there and I notice right away that they already have uh, three centers on the fourth center. And they don't have a, a small forward at all. They, yeah. They're just missing that position. Sure. So I'm like, okay, uh, there's some translation issue. So I'm obviously not a free man. And so, you know, I try to practice and try to make the team and everything. But, I mean, they have three centers. They're all really good. One's like a guy who graduated from Syracuse. And the two are young Ukrainian guys who are both like 6'10", 6'11", young, athletic. So there just wasn't a spot for me. So they, they flew me home one day. <laughs> that was it for Ukraine. Is there a thought in your head that you're just like, oh, I'm going to go with this. You're right. I'm rebranding myself as a, as a small forward right now. I'm a three-point shooter. I'm going to handle the ball. <laughs> I wish I had thought of that. Um, no, I was just like, I'm going to be a center, and I'm going to be a better center than these other guys. But <laughs> it didn't work out. So um, You, had, you yeah. could have been the Dirk of the Ukraine. I could have. And that was my big chance because uh, <laughs> coming up through college, I was like, if I just was a little younger, I could have been – groomed like a guard like how Dirk was and I'd be a different player <laughs> so I just yeah that was a big opportunity I should have just ran with it I didn't even think of it life comes down to these missed chances but I so you're you're at what a 24 year old and you're lost in in Kiev basically that's that's a story at least you have that's that's something that you got from that trip oh yeah uh-huh <laughs> so yeah I, mean, I was I was out there in Ukraine you know and it was, uh, I was just off the grid, kind of, you know, because it wasn't like today where you can just hop on the internet so easily and just connect with everybody. It was kind of stuck out there. I figured I didn't even have a laptop. I was like, I'll buy a laptop when I get out there. And and so, you know, my phone, I couldn't charge it because I didn't have the adapter. Yeah. So I was kind of, uh, kind of on my own for a bit. How many times have you wondered to yourself, how did that coach know I was on the train? All the time. I, I just... <laughs> I don't know how they figured it out, you know, because the second I got off the train, the guy was right there. He's right side of my car. It wasn't like he was walking up and down the plank. Like he was there and he's like, let's go, Steve. I'm like, what? <laughs> so that was pretty lucky. I mean, uh, that's, that is a, I don't know what I would have done if I. <laughs> crazy story. That's that absolutely crazy. And that, you know, that's what you think about when, when you want these these crazy playing overseas stories like that is exactly what you want i mean it's it's tough to get thrown into the deep end like that but mm-hmm. you know, it's nice i i think after the fact it's it's fun to have gone through that oh absolutely yeah when you're looking you kind of know that eventually it's going to make a good story but when you're there you're like oh, okay this kind of sucks <laughs> so then you're immediately put back on a plane and flown back to new jersey yep i had a week of uh, Ukrainian basketball practices, mm. which were insane. And then um, <clears throat> I went back to the States after that. Why insane? A few reasons. Um, the coach was ex-Yugoslavian, which uh, Serbia produces a heck load of really good basketball players. Mm. And it's because the coaches work those players like crazy. And the amount of uh, running they do is just 
unbelievable. And it's, it seems like if you play if you play in Europe, you know, and you have like an ex-Yugoslavian kind of coach, like a Serbian coach, you know you're going to do a lot of sprints after practice, like a lot. Mm-hmm. And so we had one of those coaches, and he was just running the crap out of us. It was exhausting. And then um, we had to do weights after every practice. Nice. And the weight room wasn't like a typical weight room, which was free weights. It was all machines that were like controlled with like this key fob kind of thing. So you walk up huh. to the fob, it would recognize your name. It's like, okay, it's Steve's on the machine. Let's put the bench press to 200 pounds and make them do eight reps. And it would tell you that. <clears throat> you know, you have like a sheet. But every time you went back in the weight room, the weights would go up a little bit. So if you did ah. 200 one week, the next week would be 202. And you'd be expected to, you know, rep all these things out. And if you didn't do it, you know, the coach would kind of be in your face like, why are you being so lazy? Are you hurt? Like, what's the matter? Like, why can't you lift all this weight? Like, oh, we just ran for, you know, an hour straight. And now we're straight into the weight room. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. That's way more high tech than I would have expected. Oh, yeah, me too. And it wasn't even uh, weights that were on it. They're all, like, uh, hydraulically controlled. So it was just... You know, just the resistance, you know, with the hydraulics in the machine. That is really interesting. All right, so that whole situation doesn't quite work out. And uh, Mm -hmm. is that just kind of, are you you working or what are you doing until Summer League? Oh, um, so I I came back home and then, you know, I had an agent at the time. And then I had a tryout with a CBA team called the Albany Patroons. And uh, so I get on that team and there's, you know, a... I'm going for a spot there, and there's a few other guys who I'm competing against. And again, it's that guy, James Thomas, who beat me out on the 76ers. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it was like me. It was like there's two spots left, and it was me, Jamario Moons, who was like an NBA dunk contest a couple years later, and yes. James Thomas. So, and they had this coach, uh, Michael Ray Richardson, who was. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, he was uh, not pleasant, I will say. Yeah. And <laughs> so we. Uh, I got on that team and I was trying out and I'm like, okay, this coach is crazy. And, uh, so I got, I got released from there and that was definitely for the best. And then after that I ended up with the Sioux Falls Sky Force for the second half of the uh, CBA season. And that team was awesome. Those are just a great group of guys. Any interesting names on that roster? Yeah, there was a, there was a, a lot actually. Um, we had, Steve Graham, who had a bunch of uh, mm-hmm. contracts in the NBA. I actually played against him in a summer league game here in St. Pete like uh, last summer. And then uh, he didn't recognize me. He was only on the team for like five minutes. He got called back up to the NBA. <laughs> uh, we had Mark Sanford. He was a first-round pick with the Heat. And uh, Jermaine Walker, I think he is also on the Heat at some point. Uh, Billy Thomas, he was a guard. He had like a 10-day with the Nets. And so we had like another guy who called up to Sonics. That's how long ago it was. We had this guy on Noel Felix who was a super athletic, uh, like power forward. He ended up playing on the Sonics for a bit. And so we had a lot of like NBA call ups, you know, before the D League bought them out. You know, the CBA was where to play. Right. And then, uh, so yeah, we had a bunch of guys go to the NBA from there. Okay, so then you're you're back with the Seventy Sixers. What is your expectation going into uh, the summer league? Um, I I thought. You know, this is my chance to really make the team, you know, because this is the second time around, so it's kind of like they kept an eye on me all year, and now it's yeah. like I'm not just some fluke. It's like, okay, we like Castleberry, so let's uh, let's get him out here. And so it went kind of well at first. You know, I started the first game, and I thought that was like a pretty awesome uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Deal, but That's great. Yeah, and it was a, you know, it was a good workout, and 
it was it wasn't like a the summer league's not like a money making type of thing. You, know, you mm-hmm. expect to kind of get paid whenever you do anything with the NBA. I think I broke even with the summer oh. league. But uh, you know, uh, basically we had two guys on the team. Um, Lou Williams was I think going into his second year at that point, and so basically the whole summer league was to get him shots. Yeah, I just basically set screens for him the whole time and. You know, when I was out there, set screen, set screen. And the only time I got the ball was, like, little dump-off passes for, like, layups or dunks. Or, like, someone got stuck and had to pick up the dribble and I was just open. <laughs> but, yeah, at that time, I wasn't really, like, an ISO kind of post player anyway. I was more of a team player and just go with the flow. Sure. You would develop into that, but not yet. Yeah, yeah. In Europe, I kind of the gist of it. Uh, so what is a so we, it's a, a baby Lou Williams, nineteen year old Lou Williams, and the whole team is you know let's get Lou touches and let's get Lou comfortable. What were mm-hmm. your what did you think of him at that point? Did you think this is a guy who's going to have a ten plus year career, or this is a guy who's going to have to figure some stuff out? I thought he was a guy who was going to have to figure some stuff out. I guess yeah, I guess both kind of came true because he had a he was so young, you know, coming straight out of high school and. You know, he was he was cocky. You know, he mm-hmm. he was like not like apprehensive at all. You know, in the <laughs> locker room and everything, he was just like, "I'm the man." You know, you know, you know, he's so much younger than all these guys. He's skinny, and you know, but he he he's a man. You know, he really developed and figured it all out, and now yeah. he's you know he's just solid. I remember, I remember. Do you remember the old MTV show Cribs? Yeah. 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 Lou Williams showed up on an episode randomly at Bow Wow's house. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, all right, this is, this embodies Lou Williams perfectly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess they're both like, what is it? The Atlanta area? Yeah. It's just super, super random. So, okay. That doesn't work out. And at this point, this is kind of where the casual fan, uh, your story ends. And we've seen yep. we have so many guys who we've seen, and they're just they're gone at that point. But for you, basically, this is the beginning of your professional career. What is the next step after being let go from the uh, the summer league team? Well, having the summer league end. Oh yeah, so after uh, summer league, I I had tried out in Cyprus, which was another disaster, <laughs> and then I, I went from Cyprus um, back home, and I went to uh, the Minot Skyrockets in the okay. CBA. And I played the whole season there with uh, in North Dakota with the uh, Minot Skyrockets, yeah. and um, that went well. Uh, I didn't do uh, as much as I thought I, I could because um, basketball is such a fickle beast. You know, it's like mm-hmm. if you don't play a lot of minutes, you don't get stats. If you don't get stats, you don't get a job the next year. Yeah. So I, I didn't play as much as I, I could have. You know, I would have liked to. I probably played twenty minutes a game, so then I averaged like I think like nine and a half points and like seven rebounds. But, you know, if you ratchet up from 20 minutes a game to 30, all of a sudden my stats are like 14 and 10, mm-hmm. and then I'm getting offers in Europe, you know, right off the bat without, you know, trying to push it too hard. And so it's just how basketball is. You know, you have to get minutes to get jobs. Yeah, how tough is that line to walk? Because, like you say, you need to make an impression to get the next job, but you need minutes to make an impression. Do you feel, do you feel like you have to do something anytime you're on the court? Is that going through your mind, or are you just trying to play basketball and let it come? Oh yeah, it's definitely going through your mind. Um, 
and it goes through all the players' minds, you know, because the coach, he wants everyone to play as a team, and he wants the team to win. And in college, you know, you can kind of swallow that bitter pill, you know, to be part of the team and be part of a bigger cause. But in the pros, you know, the mentality does help the team, but it also means you might not have a job the next year if you're kind of like a super efficient player who's playing 20 minutes a game and averaging seven points and five rebounds. You know, like you might be the glue that helps the team out, but next season comes around, there a, you know, a team from Europe's like combing through your stats, and you only have seven points. Like, mm-hmm. we need a score. But it's like, if you're playing 20 minutes a game, you're shooting 60% from the field, it still it doesn't look good. Right. And so that's that was kind of what happened with me over there. You know, I just wasn't getting the big minutes that I would have liked, and uh, my stats suffered. And, you know, um, it really it gets hectic. You know, players get really frustrated. And I, I was definitely getting frustrated because, you know, you have a game where it's like the coach plays you four minutes and you get three points. And you're like, oh, I'd be better off not playing because this is going right. like that. Uh, uh, that, is, that. Yeah, you're right. That's It's stuff we don't think about as a casual fan. But, yeah, that that must just torture you at night. Think This is, you know, I I played well when I was in, but at the end of the day, today probably goes down as a negative for me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was on the Sky Force, you know, I, I was a rookie, so I wasn't playing a lot. And we had some guys on the team, like, Castleberry, man, you're per 48. You know, your stats per 48 minutes. Mm-hmm. Like, you're per 48 is crazy. You know, you played three minutes, they had four points and two <laughs> rebounds. We were like, if you played the whole game. <laughs> I was like, yeah. So I kind of, like, talked to the coach. I'm like, coach, let me play 48 that game. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he was a really good guy. Uh-huh. He actually ended up being – the Sioux Falls coach uh, – Coach Dave Yeager, he ended up. Oh wow! I think he's still the head coach at uh, the Kings. Yeah, oh, right, the Kings, right? Formerly, the yeah, Grizzlies. yeah, he was with the Grizzlies, and then yeah, he was awesome. And uh, so <laughs> he should have played me more if he hears this. <laughs> well, uh, I'm sure, the... I'm sure he regrets it. <laughs> now you have an in. You have an in with the Kings. That's a struggling franchise, Steve. Eh, you know, they might need me for a 10-day. I'm, I'm in decent shape. <laughs> There's no uh, – DeMarcus is gone. Now just a bunch of kids on that team. You have uh, Lapissier and Harry Giles there. So a veteran presence in the post, definitely necessary. Yeah, and I've been uh, putting up uh, hurricane shutters all weekend, so nice and strong, you know. <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> is that, that the, uh, uh, the Florida equivalent of, like, farm strength? Exactly. That's what, <laughs> yep, that's what it is. <laughs> So how when Just you talk you talk about offers like uh, going to the Ukraine, going to Cyprus, where does that come from, or is this just a random call your agent gets? Yeah, it's a it's a definitely through the agent. You know, he has his connections over in Europe. He he goes through the different you know channels that he has, whatever they may be, and he finds jobs. And you know, he comes up and like, okay, I think I have the right guy for this. You know, because you know, and then <clears throat> you know, then he sends me out there. If, you know the team agrees to it, and it's a it's a big pro- it's a long process, and it, it seems like it's always rushed. You know because they yeah. need a guy, and it's like we need a guy, we need a guy. You know the team in Europe. You know they'll be asking for a player, and you know you'll hear about it from your agent, like hey Steve, you might be going to you know Germany next week. And you're like oh cool, all right, and then they keep me posted. And ninety percent of the time it fizzles out. Then mm. all of a sudden it's like okay, you're going to uh, you know like Ukraine, and you're going like in two days. <laughs> so it's like. Get your stuff together. Get ready to go. Has there and ever it, it been? Just, has there ever been one of those that came up and you were kind of like, I don't know about this, or is it just always awesome? I want the opportunity. 
I think all of them were both, you know, because, you know, it's, you're kind of like at home, you're comfortable, but then it's like, okay, you're going to like China and you're going in two days and you're like, okay, (laughs) it's like, that's really far. It's a completely different culture and Mm -hmm. everything, but you're like, yeah, let's do it. And so it's always like a fun adventure and so it's nerve wracking too. Because when you're, when you're over there, you know, you're all of a sudden you're like super isolated. You're away from everybody. And you're like, is this really what I want to do? Yeah. You know, you kind of always have that lingering doubt in the back of your head. Is is the thought always, I'm going to play well here and that's going to get me my next shot? Or does this the sort of morph into, this is how I make a living? Yeah, it's it's weird. Like when you, yeah. Um, so, you know... You, Whenever you you have a job overseas, you know you have to perform or or that's it, you know, because you have one bad season, you can be done. And each country is a little different, you know, because if you're playing like, I played in Dominican one summer, and I knew like if I went over there and I just played horribly, it wouldn't really affect me too much because, you know, it's not like the European market and, Mm. you know, it's kind of under the radar a little bit. And, um, but if you go have a whole bad season, in Europe, it's like, that's that's that it's pretty much. And so, what happens after that? What happens after Cyprus and all of there? Where do you, does Steve Castleberry ever sort of settle into a, a job overseas? I did. I, I played one year in China, but then after that, I played three years in the Czech Republic. Okay. What was that experience like? Because talk about a different culture. Oh yeah, China was. I, I was there twice. I went there once. It was a really uh, random, uh, like, tournament in this uh, small town right near the uh, Vietnamese border. And um, we were there for three games a week overall, and we still beat the team. This was like a scrimmage. And uh, three, three games. Uh, we lost the still we won the third, and that was because they threw the game for us. I'm convinced mm-hmm. 100% that they threw the game. And that was for... Uh, the local fans kind of get into the spirit of basketball, like, hey, we have a pro team now, let's go and support them. And, and we moved three times in a row to the same team, it's not going to look good. So the rest were definitely in on it. <laughs> well, <laughs> let me ask you a question because, you know, you are a very, very tall man. And mm-hmm. I've been around some of these people who, because of their height, they feel there's an obligation to play basketball or at least basketball is the easiest path to success. Were you a guy who this, it afforded you an opportunity for a job or were you a guy who just loved playing basketball? Yeah. Um, first, yeah, it was, uh, an opportunity, you know, um, for education and then mm-hmm. I kind of started training for it and I fell out of it. And then college is like love at the very first. It was like, all right, you know, with the same sex and just, well, that's awesome. We're uh, we're starting to have some audio problems, and we're also getting up to that like fifty minute mark. So, seems as good a place as any to end it here. Steve Castleberry, thanks so much for coming on the show and uh, telling us about your career, giving us some fun stories, and just letting us peek behind the curtain a little bit. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. It was uh, great talking to you.